Friends, today we come to Mark chapter 15. It is the climax of our journey with Jesus uh, to Jerusalem. And it's the climax because today we enter uh, into Jesus' final hours on, uh, on earth with uh, his crucifixion. It's not the climax that most of his disciples expected when he called them. And uh, it's probably not the one they were expecting just days ago and not the one that we would have expected if we were in their shoes. We've talked about this along the way, right? That it was just a matter of days when Jesus was uh, riding into Jerusalem on a donkey and people were putting their cloaks on the road and they were putting palm branches on the road, right? This is Palm Sunday. Some of you heard about this story this morning, right? Putting these things on the road and shouting things like, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, right? They were expecting Jesus to come in as king, to throw out Rome, to reestablish the kingdom of God right here, right now in Jerusalem. They were ready to go just days ago as our story goes. And then a few days later, Jesus is betrayed by Judas, arrested by the religious council, abandoned by his disciples who just hours before had sworn their allegiance to him on the Mount of Olives. And when we get to Mark chapter 15, Jesus stands alone on trial before the Roman prefect Pontius Pilate. If you need a Bible, uh, go ahead and raise your hand. Some of our friends in the back can get you one. Just raise your hand. Leave them up there for a second if you want to be able to follow along in Mark chapter 15. Uh, We're going to be looking at uh, verse 15, 1 through 39. That's a significant chunk Uh, But we're going to do that because these are the last moments on earth of um, the life of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So it's the climax of the story. If you're able to turn to it and you want to follow along, it goes this way. Very early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders, the teachers of the law, and the whole Sanhedrin made their plans. They bound Jesus and led him away and handed him over to Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? Pilate asked. You said so, Jesus answered. The chief priests accused him of many things. So again, Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer? See how many things they're accusing you of. But Jesus made no reply. Pilate was amazed. Now it was the custom at the festival to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the uprising, the crowd came up to Pilate and asked for him to do what he usually did. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? Pilate asked, knowing it was out of self-interest that the chief priest handed Jesus over. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. What do you want me to do with the one you call king of the Jews? Pilate asked them. Crucify him, they shouted. Why? What crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they shouted even louder, Crucify him! Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged, handed him over to be crucified. The soldiers led Jesus away to the palace, that is the praetorium, 
and called together the whole company of soldiers. They put a purple robe on him, twisted together a crown of thorns, and set it on him. And they began to call out, Hail, King of the Jews! Again and again they struck him with a staff and spit on him. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they took the purple robe off, put his own clothes back on him, and led him out to be crucified. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, who is the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on the way from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the skull. Then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he didn't take it. They crucified him. Dividing his clothes, they cast lots to see what each one of them would get. It was nine in the morning when they crucified him. And the written notice on the charge against him read this. The king of the Jews. They crucified two rebels with him, one on his right, the other on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads. So, you're going to destroy the temple and build it in three days. Come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. (laughs) He saved others. Can't save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down from the cross so that we can believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard him say this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. Some ran to fill a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, offered it to Jesus to drink, and said, now, leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. When the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw this and how he died, he said, Surely this man was the Son of God. The word of the Lord. I love that practice that we have of giving thanks to God for his word, but sometimes I wonder if we can really mean that sometimes. You know what I mean? Like, how do we give thanks to God for this travesty of justice? How do we give thanks for a sham trial, cruel mockery, and public execution of the Son of God? The crucifixion of Jesus is arguably the worst event in human history. And yet, somehow, this is the climactic moment in history. So significant is the crucifixion of Christ that the rest of the New Testament points to it as central to what the writers of the New Testament call the good news or the gospel as we usually uh, translate it. In fact, Mark, at the very beginning of his book, it opens with this sentence. He says, the beginning of the good news or the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. How is the crucifixion of the Son of God good news? And good news of such singular importance 
that the Apostle Paul, who initially hated Jesus and hated his followers and hated everything he stands for, was eventually converted into someone who, while sharing this good news with others, says this in Second, uh, excuse me, in First Corinthians chapter two. I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Wow. Well, in the Bible, this term good news or gospel is a specific kind of news. Right? The Bible's authors didn't make up the word gospel, didn't make up good news. It's something that they took from the culture that they lived in. And gospel or good news is an announcement. It's, it's like the king has returned and the victory's been won. Or a new king has been born. Or in our context, it's the news running across CNN's screen. Who won the election? Or it's the news on your app, the Amber Alert, that says this person's been found. Right? It's public good news. It's not just good news for me. It's good news for everybody. Right? So an example of that might be this. Okay. Josiah, how you doing, buddy? You know what these are? Yeah. You ever heard of these before? Skittles? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I like Skittles. <laughs> I think they're great, you know. Not everybody likes Skittles, you know. The commercials freak me out a little bit, frankly. They're a little bit weird. I'm like, what were you taking on the commercials? But I'm sorry, I get distracted. But Skittles are amazing. I mean, I like them anyway. Do you think you might like Skittles? I, I mean, I've had them, yes. You've had them? Do you like them? Yeah. Would you like these Skittles? I sure. Thanks. Great. You can have those Skittles. Josiah, everybody. Thanks, buddy. I appreciate that. Now, for Josiah, those skills were good news. Would anybody else like some good news? Anybody else want some good news? Good news. Good news. But you know what? Friends, I've got good news. I got good news. I got good news for you. I got good news for you. Good news back there. I see you. Good news. Good news. Wait, over. You guys like good news? Oh, no, there's good news for both sides of the room. Good news. There's good news back there. Good news. Good news. Front row. Good news. Good news over there, I see you. Whoa, I almost, that was almost not good news for you. Anybody else got good news? I got you right there. We need some more good news? Good news, good news. Is anybody missing out on the good news? Good news, good news, good news, good news, good news. Anybody else missing good news? Good news. All right, I'm too far away from the good news. Good news. Good news. Good news, good news. Good news. Good news. Even out in the 
lobby, good news. Oh, hit the ceiling, sorry, try again, good news. Friends, the gospel of Jesus Christ is not private good news. It's an announcement. It's good news for everybody. Okay? What's stunning about this good news, I'm going to sweep this under the ground before I grind it into the floor. What's stunning about this good news is that it comes to us specifically as a direct result of the abandonment, betrayal, and crucifixion of the Son of God. So as we enter Holy Week, and as we remember this week all that Christ has done for us as we walk to Good Friday and to the joy of Resurrection Sunday, we want to walk into it with clarity about how what Jesus has done on the cross is good news for us and for our campus, okay? Y'all ready for that? You got some sugar, you should be ready to go. So let me offer just a brief summary of how the New Testament describes the effect and impact of Christ and his death on the cross. We're going to talk about the gospel in four words. Rescued, redeemed, reconciled, and renewed. The Bible says a lot more about the crucifixion of Christ, but it definitely says these things frequently and resoundingly. Now, I know some of you like to take notes, so I have some other kind of good news, which is that all of the scripts, we're really just going to go through scripture tonight. Okay, okay with that? We're just going to follow this line and these themes in scripture. And uh, what you're going to, if you look at the end of your rows, you'll actually find one of these little sheets for every one of you. And on these little sheets is the scripture we're going to go through tonight together so that actually, if you were to meditate on every one of these passages, each day of the week between now and Easter, you would have one for every day. Isn't that cool? You're welcome. As those are being passed out, let me just walk us into this. The first thing we see in Scripture, the significance of Christ's death on the cross, is that it rescues us from the grip of sin. Right? The cross of Christ rescues us from the grip of sin. Ephesians 2 says this, You were dead. Say that word. You were dead. dead. Not like things were going poorly or you needed a little help. No, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit that's at work in those who are disobedient. All of us. How, who? All of us live this way at one time, gratifying the cravings of the sinful nature, just following its desires and thoughts. We were the walking dead. That's what Scripture says about us. But God, who is rich in mercy, God, because of his great love for us, made us alive in Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you've been rescued. Paul says this even more succinctly in Colossians chapter 1. He says, He, that is Christ, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins that each of us and all of us are hopelessly 
lost may initially not strike us as good news, right? But anyone who's ever, let me give you an analogy, anyone who's ever worked with addicts before or anyone who's ever walked through an addiction before um, would recognize this intuitively that one of the very first things you have to do when you come to reckon with your addiction is admit that you have a problem that you cannot fix by yourself, right? The uh, first two steps of the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, which is by far the most far-reaching and some would uh, argue I would be among them, the most um, effective recovery program that has up currently to date, uh, the first two steps of uh, the 12 steps go like this. I admit that I am powerless over my addiction and that my life has become unmanageable. And I've come to believe that a power greater than myself can restore my sanity, right? Those are step one and step two of the 12 steps. If you listen to addicts talk about recovery, they will frequently talk about how this has rescued. This has been rescue for them, right? And that's true, though. That's true for all of us. Because we're all caught in the grip and the current of sin, And none of us have the capacity to overcome it. And in fact, it is pulling us toward death. That's how the Bible describes the effects of sin in our lives. And in fact, for most of us, we, we would admit that. That there are things in our lives that became unmanageable before Christ or are unmanageable right now in the absence of Christ. But there's good news. Christ the Son of God is willing to get in the mud with us. That Christ is willing to get into the mud to pull us out, willing to bleed that we might be rescued. The cross of Christ is a means by which we are rescued from the grip and the current of sin. And maybe that's exactly the good news you need to hear tonight that you, are, you, you find yourself stuck in the grip and the current of sin, and it is just pulling you, and you say, I don't want this, but it just keeps moving you. And you're not sure how to get out of it, and you know what the, the effect it's having on your life. Jesus is not afraid to get into the mud with you. His cross is the lifeboat by which we are rescued. Right? This is the first thing that the cross of Christ does for us. It's good news. But there's more to it than that, right? The cross of Christ rescues us from the grip and the current of sin, but it also redeems us from the guilt and shame of our own participation in it because we're not helpless victims here, right? We're participants in the circumstances that we find ourselves in. We've made choices, And those choices have had consequences in our lives, right? We've all done this, right? It's not like anybody here is, well, you're not talking to me. Come on, let's get honest, right? We're in college. We can be real with each other. Everyone you've ever met has either actively or passively rejected God and God's purposes and God's ways. And all of us had committed crimes against God and crimes against humanity. But Christ also made a choice. Christ made a choice to choose to pay the penalty for our crimes. To redeem us from the guilt and the shame of our participation 
in these things. This is what Colossians chapter 2 says. Guys, I'm telling you, you got to just spend some time with Paul in Colossians. It's so good. Colossians chapter 2 says this, when we were dead, there it is again, when we were dead in sins uh, and in the uncircumcisions of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all our sins, having canceled the charge of legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He took it away and he nailed it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them by triumphing over them in the cross. Paul goes on in the book of Ephesians. He actually opens it this way. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in every, with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Excuse me, blessed us in the heavenly realms. There it is. With every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In him we have redemption through his blood, forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. It's because of this particular act of Christ that Christ's cross is so closely associated with the Passover lamb of the Old Testament. Right, you remember in, in our story, the context of our story is Passover, right? Jesus had just left the Passover meal. It was the day of preparation of the Passover. Jesus is crucified in that moment, this marquee moment in the history of God's people where for hundreds and hundreds of years, ancient Israel had commemorated God's deliverance of them from Egypt through the sacrifice and death of a Passover lamb. And Mark goes to great pains for us to be able to see the alignment between the Passover lamb and the death of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. That Christ is the Passover lamb who redeems and who rescues us from the guilt, from the shame, and the grip of sin. Mark was a, a disciple of the Apostle Peter who uh, says this about this, really draws the connection closely. He says that, for you know that it was not with perishable things as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ. And here it is, the lamb without spot or defect or blemish or defect. And maybe that's exactly the good news that you need to hear tonight. Even many of us who will trust that Jesus Christ has rescued us from the grip of sin struggle with the guilt about things that we've done and the shame we feel about things we didn't do. And the voice of the accuser is always chirping in your ear about how unforgivable you are, unlovable you are, that God couldn't forgive this in you. This is not redeemable. Friends, I have good news tonight. God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all of your sin. He canceled the charges that were against you and condemned you. He took it away. He nailed it to the cross by taking the guilt and shame onto himself. He disarmed. Did you hear me? Did you hear Paul? He disarmed the powers of guilt and shame and he mocked them in his victory over them through the cross. Friends, we have good news. Amen? Amen. Amen. This is good news, but there's more. 
There's more. Christ has rescued us from the grip and the current of sin. Christ has redeemed us from the guilt and the shame of our own choices, our own participation in it. But Christ also reconciles our relationship with God. Like forgiveness and reconciliation are not the same thing. I'll give you an example, right? You can forgive someone and still not want to be around them. You know what I'm talking about, right? You maybe can forgive your parents for something that's happened, but you may not want to live in their house. You can maybe forgive someone who's done something to you, but you might not want to spend a lot of time with them, right? Forgiveness and reconciliation are not the same thing, but what the gospel does, what it says, the cross of Christ not only redeems us, that is, grants us forgiveness, but also reconciles us in our relationship with God. Check this out in Romans 5. It says this, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we've been justified by his blood, how much more so we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Let's go back to Colossians. Man, I'm telling you, I just... If you did anything this summer that was going to grow you spiritually, just memorize the book of Colossians. I'm telling you, some of y'all think I'm, I'm joking. If you can memorize a thousand songs, you can memorize the book of Colossians in a summer. I'm so sure of it. It's so good. It's worth the work. Anyway, Colossians chapter 1. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in Christ and through him to reconcile, see it? To reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And once you were alienated from God, enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy, free, and without accusation. Maybe that's exactly the good news uh, you needed to hear tonight. That, because for some of us, while we may cognitively grasp the concept that Christ has rescued us from the grip of sin, and maybe we have some experience of that, and maybe while cognitively you can grasp the concept that God has redeemed you, forgiven you in Christ, still, the space between you and God has grown wide and cold because that guilt of what you've done and that shame for the things you may have left undone even if again you conceptually believe that God has done this you don't feel like you can approach God that the light of God's holiness reflected on what you perceive as the stain of your sin is not a good look Friends, I have good news. The curtain of the temple is torn from top to bottom. Mark 15 tells us that the barrier that sin creates between our sinfulness and God's holiness has been torn down through the cross of Christ. And now redemption is won for us through the cross. The door into God's presence is open. I don't get to go in because somehow I've cleaned myself up. But because Christ 
in his death on the cross has made me without blemish and free from accusation, holy in his sight. Friends, we have good news. But there's more. Not only are we rescued from the grip of sin through Christ, not only are we redeemed from the guilt and shame through Christ of our own choices, not only are we reconciled in our relationship to God, but we are renewed in our identity and our purpose as God's children created to cultivate life and love and harmony in the world. The cross of Christ, it calls us to a different way of life, to begin living today like people who actually believe and anticipate that the kingdom of God is coming in all of its glory and in all of its fullness to be people who will follow Jesus to the cross because we know that the cross is only part of the journey to resurrection. It's an important part of the journey. We couldn't have the rest without it. But it's only part. And resurrection's just on the other side. To live today, like we actually believe what Paul says here in 2 Corinthians 5, that if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has already come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled to himself through Christ and gave to us. Who? To us? Gave to us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he's committed to us. There it is again. The message of reconciliation. We are Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making an appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has already come. And then, again, back to my, my good friend Paul in Colossians. You know, I can't leave it alone. Paul says there's implications for that, for how we live right now, today. This renewed life is for now, right? I mean, God is going to make all things new. It's quite literally the, when God will make all things new. He actually says this in Revelation 21. I am making everything new. So we kind of know this is the purpose and calling of the ministry of Christ. Right? This is what he does. And he calls us to it. And because of that, this renewed life is ours. It's ours now. It's ours today. And this is what Paul says about it. He said this is what this renewed life looks like. He says, this old life that you have, put to death. Put to death whatever belongs to your sinful nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lost evil desires, greed, idolatry. It's because of these things that the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk this way in the life you once lived. But now, today, rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Don't lie to each other. You've taken off the old self and its practices. You put on the new self, which is being what? Renewed. Oh, come on, y'all. You're still with me, aren't you? You're not on the sugar drop yet, right? Renewed. Renewed in knowledge and image of its creator as God's chosen people. Do you know he's talking to you? 
as God's chosen people, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Bear with each other. Forgive whatever, sin, whatever grievances you have against one another. Forgive just like the Lord forgave you. And over all these things, put on love because that binds them together in perfect unity. Friends, we have good news. Let your mind sit on this for just a minute. Maybe. Maybe God brought you to this campus at this time in your life that Christ, through his spirit and the working of his people, has been actively working in such a way that you are experiencing the rescuing, redeeming, reconciling, and renewing work of Christ in your life so that you can be a participant in the renewal of our campus through the cross of Jesus Christ. Because don't we know, don't you know, that there are so many of our classmates and our co-workers that need good news. There are so many people on our campus that need to know that Jesus will get in the mud with them to rescue them from the bondage of sin that has a grip on their lives. There are so many who are wandering from major to major and they're racked with guilt and shame wandering from major to major and relationship to relationship, they need to know, man, that Christ can redeem them. There are still others whom sin has done such a powerful work in their lives and they have been distant from God for so long. They need to know Christ can reconcile them. They don't have to have a cold, distant space between them and God. And there are many who simply need to experience a community of people for whom the renewing power of the gospel is changing their lives and invite others into it. We've got good news, amen? We've got good news. So here's what I wonder. What if this week we each took a brave step it's Holy Week. Easter's coming, right? We're people of the cross and the resurrection. What would it look like if we took a brave step to ask God this question? God, who in my life needs this good news? God, who in my life needs to know that you can rescue them, redeem them, reconcile them, and renew them? Who needs to know that? And then take the brave step of asking them, would you come to the well with me on Easter? Guys, Easter Sunday, or to church, it doesn't have to be here, but invite them into the community. Man, Easter Sunday is Super Bowl for us, right? It's Resurrection Day. The cross of Christ won all these things for us, and the resurrection secures it, makes it sure, solid. It's, it's a done deal. Can you invite someone who needs to know about this rescuing, reconcil uh, excuse me, rescuing, redeeming, reconciling, and renewing power of the gospel and invite them to come and experience it for themselves and to be around people for whom this is, this is who we are. This is life for us. We've got good news, amen? Can we share that and see the renewing of our campus? Yes. 
Let's ask God for it. Jesus, you are our rescuer. So thank you, Jesus, for how you have rescued us from the dominion of darkness. God, for friends in the room tonight who need to experience that power for themselves, we pray, stretch out your hand, Jesus, to rescue them from the grip and the current of sin that has power in their lives. And some of us, God, need to experience your redeeming power that the guilt and the shame that has taken up residence in our lives is being, God, we ask that you would take it away that the cross of Christ would be proven sufficient and would stand tall over all those things and in fact mock the things that mock us because of the glory of your cross. And some of us, God, need that reconciling effect in our lives tonight. So for those of us, God, that have cold air between us, come, Spirit of God, and fill that space. Tear the curtain, whatever stands in between us, and bring reconciliation For all of us, God, we pray for the renewing power of the cross to transform our lives so that who we are inside and out demonstrates the glory of all that you have done for us in Christ. Hear us as we sing our prayers to you now, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen.